I've kind of been thinking over the last few weeks, what am I going to preach on on such an occasion? And it's funny, it was my time on public transport that inspired me. I don't know if anyone's a fan of public transport. I don't like it. I don't like trains or buses, especially in the summer. Uh, they just cause me aggravation and I get hot and sweaty. And, but I, I, was, I found myself on a train up to London Bridge not too long ago to meet a mate for a drink. And like most of us, I can be guilty of enjoying a little bit of people watching. And so I, uh, I found myself, I like kind of just seeing what are people doing, where are they going, what are they talking about, why did they decide to come dressed like that, you know, what were they thinking. And uh, in this particular train journey, the people watching was boring because there was about a dozen people on the, on the train on my carriage and every single one of them was just staring at their phone. And I was thinking, oh, this is pretty boring. But it kind of just prompted this thing of me that more and more we live in a society that is very individualistic. Right? We kind of value privacy over commitment and over community. We kind of like to live in our own little zone. We like to keep people at arm's length. Social media is trying to destroy actual meaningful face-to-face relationships and connection. And so you can have that same thing through a screen. I mean, this is society we live in. And I kind of feel like that is slowly infiltrating the church. This kind of thing of this being individualistic is infiltrating the church. It's kind of coming into our community. And we have to be really careful and mindful of that. And I've been stirred to pray this morning on God's church and how we can almost be so different from that culture. And so I'm going to start in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 16. If you've got a Bible, then you can turn there. And I'm going to jump around a little bit. It's not my usual way, but I'm going to kind of start in Matthew and look a little bit at Paul's words in Ephesians about the church and then also what Jesus taught his disciples in the Gospel of John as well. But we'll start. We'll launch from Matthew 16. So it's going to come on the screen if you don't have a Bible, but let's read that together. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples... Who do you say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Let's pray together and we'll look at God's word. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to be here on such an occasion. Me personally, I'm so grateful. God, I just pray simply, help us this morning as we... Look at your word together as we kind of fight against what the culture and society is teaching us. Help us by your spirit to be convicted and challenged and sharpened and changed by your word. I pray in your glorious name. Amen. I could spend a lot of time looking at kind of the context of these passages, looking at maybe the first few verses. But I just want to hone in on one verse today to kind of start us off. And it's that verse 18. If you're a Christian or you've been around, it will be familiar to you. Jesus says, and I tell you, Peter, on this, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Jesus, what a verse from Jesus. He is building his church, an amazing claim. Uh, The word, the Greek word ecclesia for church is used twice in the Gospel of Matthew, and it, it simply means a congregation of people, an assembly of people, a group of people. So Jesus is saying, listen, I'm gonna build my church. 
And, and it, when you read the Bible, you see that right from the very start, that was God's plan. You look, go back to the garden, Adam and Eve, he wanted to create people and be in community with them. You read the story of Abraham, he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. He, he wanted to gather a people to himself. We kind of recently went for the book of Exodus together, and we see there that he was about gathering the people of Israel to be his people. God has always been about that. And so this isn't out of the blue what Jesus is saying here. It's not kind of throwing a spanner in the works. He, people, this has been the plan all along, if you like. It's been foundational that the son of David, okay, that the son of man, God's anointed son, will come and build a house for God's name. And so Jesus says this, but I love it that he says it to Peter. Because Peter in this scenario is, is the spokesman of the group, if you like. So Jesus has got the 12 disciples and he's asking these questions. And Peter kind of pipes up and says, you're the Messiah. You know, basically like, you're the one. You're the one that this has all been pointing to. You're the one who's going to come. You're a saviour. You're the, the anointed son, the, the son of God, the anointed king, the one who's come to save and rescue us. That all of Israel has been waiting for is you, Jesus. He's kind of seen it in this moment. And I wish, I don't know about you, sometimes when I read these stories, I'm like, I wish I was there. I would have loved to have seen kind of how they were standing around, what their reactions were when Jesus is saying these things, were they kind of glazing over, tired from a day's work, were they kind of like just excited on the edge of their seat. And it's funny because I bet it was one of those I remember where I was moments. I don't know if you have one of those, but... Well, maybe I was about 16, 15. I'm on the 181 from Hiver Green to coming back to my mum and dad's in Downham. And I'm on the, on the 181, um, which is quite a long bus route if you know it. And all of a sudden, I'm kind of just there in my own zone. And this woman literally screams out, Michael Jackson's dead! She just shouts it out. And it was like the whole bus kind of stopped. Side and all of a sudden, you don't see people talking on London buses, but like everyone was chatting to each other. I can't believe it. And it's like one of those I remember where I was moments. I don't know if you can remember where you were when you found out Michael Jackson died. Someone said to me, It shows how young I am because they remember when JF Kennedy died. I'm like, well, I, I definitely don't remember that. But I, you know, those moments that I remember where I was? It's funny because I bet the disciples never forgot where they were when Jesus made this statement I'm going to build my church. I bet till the day they died, they remembered where they were when this kind of stayed. But I also bet they were kind of there a little bit confused about when Peter starts talking. Because Peter, if you know anything about Peter, wasn't the sharpest tool in the box. He's a bit daft. And he kind of comes out of this answer. And I can imagine them all sort of kind of looking at each other thinking, how's he come out of that? Like, where's he got that from? And, and Jesus quickly puts him at ease and says, he didn't receive that from flesh. That's not a revelation from himself. That didn't come from flesh and blood. He got that revelation from his father. God the Father, he says, that's where it came from. Peter was given a revelation by God that he is the Christ. And Jesus kind of jumps on it. But I love it. I love it. It is a man, literally, Peter. When you think about it, when you think about the person of Peter, I don't know if you know much about him, but he was just a tradesman, like a local tradesman, a rough fisherman, if you like. Wasn't university educated, wasn't particularly sharp. But he was a man, he was, if you like, he had, would have had cuts on his hands. He's just a rough, common bloke from the area who had this faith that he saw in this moment, Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus says, on that faith, that's all I need to build my church. And I'm going to build it. Does it mean that Peter was smarter than the others? No. Does it mean that Peter was better than the others? No. It doesn't mean any of that things. If you keep reading the story, you'll see that even just a few verses later, Jesus says to Peter, Peter says something, and Jesus says, get behind me, you're a mouthpiece of Satan. It doesn't mean that Peter was perfect. No, he made mistakes along the way. He had plenty of mistakes in him. But Jesus knew in Peter he had a real believer. He had someone who had faith. He had someone who knew he was the Messiah. That's who he had in Peter. So Peter, no, that's what. And, and on that faith, on that pronounce, on that faith, on that rock, that's how I'm going to build my church. 
on the faith of my people. He's saying that's what he says to us. As a people, do, do you believe I'm the Messiah? Do you have that faith in me? Because if you do, I will use you to build my church. That's what Jesus is about. He wants to use Peter as an instrument for his glory. To build his church, not Peter's. And it's funny because Jesus, I always have to remind ourselves of this. Jesus didn't need Peter. He didn't need Peter. He didn't need him to do that. But he wanted to use him. He wanted, he loved him. He wanted him to be caught up in it. And it's just like us. God doesn't need us. God doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need our gifts or what we bring to the table. And if we start to think like that, it's absurd. It's arrogant and not hell. He doesn't need us, but he wants to use us. He delights in using us for his glory. He delights in using us to build his church. He is after a people who will love him, who have got a deep faith in him, who will claim him as the Messiah, and will be ready to spread his gospel to the ends of the earth. That's what he's after when he says, I'm going to build my church. Upon those people, I'll build my church. Rich or poor, black or white, young or old, a school dropout or university, PhD, educated. It doesn't matter. They're not the qualifications. The qualifications, do you believe in me? Have you got faith like Peter had? If you have that, then I'll use you to build my church. So when we're here today, we say, no, Lord, we want to build your church. We, and the church is that. It's a community of believers, a congregation, a gathered people. But I've been thinking, like, as I was preparing this message, like, what does that actually mean? Like, what does it mean that we are, God is building his church? And I think Paul's words in Ephesians 2 are so helpful. And so I just want to read those to you. Paul's talking about us here. He says, listen. So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens. That's you. You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure kind of being joined together grows into a temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's like Jesus is the cornerstone. Yeah, that is his church. He's the cornerstone. The disciples, the apostles and the prophets, they are the foundation. And then all of us that come, we are living stones that are being built in and grafted into his house. You were once an alien. You were once a stranger. But now you're a fellow citizen, citizen of heaven. Now you belong into a new community, into a family. It's like me, Joe. I was once an alien, a stranger to God. But now he's grafted me in, into his family to build his church. And it's the same for you, once a stranger. But if you put your trust in him, no, now you're in. It's funny because Peter, 30 years after this encounter that he had with Jesus, wrote a letter, about 30 years or so, maybe a bit longer. And he said, he says, you know, you yourselves are like living stones. And you are being built up into a spiritual house. Each of us, he says, you are living stones being built. God is using people. The church isn't bricks or building. Jesus wasn't a bricklayer. When he said, I'm going to build my church, he didn't have a kind of a building in mind. He knew the church is his people. That's what the church is. So we are being built into a spiritual house, which will be a dwelling place for God's presence. Where Where God's people are, his presence will be there also. We are here, God's people. His presence is here with us now. He's building his church. And then he says this, this phrase, which we just love. It kind of makes you just want to go, amen. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's like Jesus saying, you can't stop this. There's nothing that can be done. Not even the gate. Death can come after him. And it's funny because death did. They probably thought at one point, oh, we've got him now. You know, he's on the cross. Lovely. And put him in the tomb. Joseph didn't think, great, we've got him now. So no, death can't stop this. Jesus knew. It's like Jesus in this moment had looked down the long corridor of history. 
And even his death. Say no. And he gives a promise that the church will endure it. And it will stand the test of time. Even though his enemies will kill him. Even though death will come after him. He will still build the gates of death. Cannot stop it. And even those apostles, the disciples. Those 12 that went off. Persecution came after them. People tried to kill them and did kill them. They were the first martyrs for their faith. But it could not stop God's building of his church. Andrew Wilson, our teaching pastor, shared a quote last week. He said, the church is like an anvil that has worn out many hammers. It's like death. People can try to smash away and you can kill. But listen, not even death can stop God's building of the church. And his victory, I guess, over the grave is living proof. God's victory over death is living proof that the church will prevail against anything. Anything. And so Jesus is building his church and he's building it with his people as living stones being built up. You and I. And so again, it's funny because it all sounds quite exciting and glamour. We're living stones. But God's been thinking, loads, so what does that actually mean? Like what does, so what does that look like? It's great, I'm a living stone, are you? So yeah, I'm a living stone. So what does that mean in being built up to be his church? And I've been just thinking, loads, so what does it actually look like? And I kind of found some time in John's word over the last few weeks in the Gospel of John, looking at chapter 15 to 17 especially. But one of the things that it means, I think, is loads of things that we can say that what it means to be in a church. And I could, you know, I've got 10 minutes. We could spend hours here saying, what does it really mean to be in a church? But I just want to share one thing with you this morning. And one of these things is that, is that it means that his church would know and love each other as a family. That's what it, that's what it really looks like. Not just a fa- but not just any kind of ordinary family, a family on a mission to grow and to spread to the four corners of the earth for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it means. And we live in a society that is completely against that at the minute. People even saying you should, oh, people should have less children because it keeps things. It's like everything needs to be smaller. That's how we kind of, that's the society we live in. Keep things individual, keep people at arm's length, people don't know their neighbours, people don't know. That's kind of, the, especially in a city in London, as you'll know. And that phrase, that kind of, oh, we're a family on a mission, has become a bit cliche. It's like a bit of fluffy. It's quite nice to say, but has it, has it got any depth to it? And, and I'll be honest, as I was considering this message, I really think God needs to take us to a new place on this. I really think that by the conviction of his Holy Spirit for his word, he needs, to, he needs to take me to a new place on this, what it really means to know and love people. And I'm hoping that he does in these next few minutes as we look at his word. And we'll understand on how we do that. Well, how do we love and know each other? It's funny, how can we love those and serve those outside the church if we don't even love each other in here? It's funny, my, some of my mates at university used to laugh at me when I used to talk about the church. they go, you just, can't, you just don't even like each other. Always arguing amongst yourselves, always disagreeing with each other, always kind of going back. It's funny though, isn't it? Because the world looks on and sees. They don't see a community of people loving and knowing each other. They see people bickering and arguing and dragging each other down. And that's what the church sees. And they think, well, I don't want to be a part of that. Why would you? So we've got to get things sorted out, if you like. And you know, every now and again, you come across someone. And this might have been you, because this was me at university. When I was at university, I used to say things like this and thought it was all right to say it. So I love God, I just don't like his church. You know, I love God, I just don't like, and some of the Christians just annoy me. That's what I used to think. And some of us think like that, oh, I love God, I just don't like the church. And no, it's, it's impossible. You've got to get out of that way of thinking. That's not kind of the way that it goes at all. In fact, 
You've missed it. Jesus in his Gospel of John, right? He says these two things can't go together. Let me just read to you some verses from John 15, uh, verses 10 to 11. It says, if you, this is Jesus. He's got all of his disciples together. And he's like, right, I'm just gonna, uh, he wants to teach them some things. Jesus knew what he's preparing them for. He thought, I've got these 12, right? And with these 12, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to give them the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to go and build my church. So he's, he's preparing them along the way. And he says this. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Yeah? Just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abided in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that your joy may be, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So I'm telling you these things so that you may know joy, that your joy will be full. This is in my commandment, that you will love one another as I have loved you. See it? In other words, if you love me, you will love one another. If you love me, you will love my people. And my church is my people. So if you love me, you will love my church. Like you can't say, I love God, but I don't love his church. God said, no, but if you love me, then you will love, my, you will love one another. That's what he's saying. It's like, you can't do that. It's funny. Like, this is, you know, this is scripture. Some of you, I'm not trying to, trying to say these things. I've not got an agenda. Uh, maybe, you know, let me, this is my words to try and galvanize as a church. You can go and read it yourself. Read it in John 15 through 17. This is God's word. He said, no, love one another. It's not just a kind of fluffy idea. This is his word to us. In, the, in John's letters that he wrote, in 1 John 3, he says, How will you be able to tell those who belong to the devil and those who belong to Christ? So he says, By this is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Two things. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. First thing. Second thing. Nor does the one who does not love his brothers. Two clear things. So how can you tell if someone really loves God? How can you tell that someone's really walking with God? Is it because they kind of dance up and down in worship? Is it because they're wailing during the songs? Is it because they're on their knees in prayer? Is it because they're fasting all the time? That's not what it says. It says they will follow righteousness and they'll love their brothers. That's how you will, it says that's how you'll be known. It's really simple. It's like you can, we can talk the talk all day long, can't we? We can kind of sing the songs all day long and we can do all those things, but... It's like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. You could sing in tongues of angels, but if you have not love, it's like a clanging cymbal. Like you can have faith that can move a mountain, but if you have not love, he says it's nothing. It's, like it's foundational to who we are. And so Jesus is preparing them in John 15. He says, that's how they will know you, by your love for one another. And after he gathers them in John 15, just literally two chapters later in John 17, we get this remarkable passage. You may have read it where Jesus is praying for his He prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, and he prays for those that will be added in. And you, kind of, you get this remarkable, I love that, that chapter because you just get this insight between Jesus and the Father, seeing how he prays and kind of how he wrestles and, his, and his, I guess he's interceding on the behalf of all of us. And I just want to read to you uh, one short verse from that. He says this in uh, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. He's talking about the disciples there. I don't just want to pray for the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. The people that, everyone who's come after the disciples has believed because they sent the message out. And this is what he prays. That all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you. That's what he says. That we, that we would be one just as him and the Father are one. Think about how one the Father and the Son are. Thomas says to Jesus, one of his other disciples, Ah, oh, do I know the Father? He says, listen, if you know me, you know the Father. Because we're one. So that, that's what it is. He wants us to be one. That's the church. It's not, 
kind of a building, not just being here, slipping into the back to enjoy some songs and listen to a message and then kind of go away. That's not what Jesus prayed for and wrestled with the Father for. That's not what Jesus prepared to lay down his life and die for. This kind of superficial thing where people kind of just come and enjoy it. That's not his church, his bride that he's coming back for. He says, no, make them one, God. Make them one, Father. Please, that they may know and love one another. Wrestling for it. It's funny. This might be a bit weird, but it shouldn't be. Just, just have a little look at the people around you. Just have a look at some of the people around you. You've got to start talking. That's always a bit awkward. Just have a look at some of the people around you. You know, you might have a bit of awkward eye contact. good sometimes. You know, get us out of our phone screens and that. Sometimes we don't have to look at someone anymore. So, no. <laughs> so um, it's funny. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know about you. When I, when I look at you, I'm sorry if this is offensive to you, if this is... New, but I'm being honest with you. When I look at you, some of you, probably other than my wife, Sylvia, but when I look at some of you, I don't think I want to be as close to them as, as Jesus is to the Father. Maybe you, maybe you do. I don't. I don't look around and go, yeah, I want to be as one with, with these people as Jesus is to the Father. But that's what, he's asked, that's what he's asking for. He's not saying, no, be one with your mates. Kind of like the people that you like, you can kind of be one with them and know and love them. But people out there, he's saying, no, this, anyone who is, is in God's church, that's it. It's funny, we like to think, really, no, I like to keep my distance. I like to keep people at arm's length. You know, I like to just really take some time to get to know. I kind of keep, them, keep my, that's, what, that's kind of the society that we live in. Kind of, I want to come and just enjoy a little bit of small talk. Pretend everything's all right, put on my church mask. Come, say a few things, say my hellos, say my goodbyes, and then go. How was your week? Good, thank you. How was yours? Yeah, fine. And that's kind of what we've been reduced to in the church. I'll see you a week later. And then we kind of come and do the same thing. That wasn't what Jesus' image of the church was. That's not what he was thinking of. He said, let them be one. They can just come and say a few things to one another. You can't say, I want to come and connect with God and go. No, listen, we say, if you really want to connect with God, you've got to connect with his people. That's what he's saying. Not to say that we can't have time on our own with God. Of course we can. He loves that when we're alone with the Father. But we also must have time with these people as well. That's what it says. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, nah, not me, Joe. You know, you, you, I'm, I'm a bit of an introvert. You know, you, you don't know me. Or maybe you're thinking, no, Joe, not me. I've, I've been hurt in the past. You know, I've got some, some issues. It may be true. Maybe you're thinking, listen, I'll just rub people up the wrong way. People kind of don't take to me. Which again, it might be true. But listen, God loves us to be with one another. He built his church that way. That's how he built his church. Not just to be alone, but to also be together. And so that's when he says, listen, follow him. When we follow Jesus, we are caught up in the body of Christ. Serving each other as he does. Serving and blessing and encouraging and loving one another. We are family. You want to build a church? You want to really follow him? Then love one another. Know one another. That's what Jesus says. And it's not just saying it, because it's easy to say, I love these people. No, do it. It needs an action at times. Some of us, you know what, some of us think this, and, and, and I think I used to think this a little bit, that when we like kind of serving the kids' work or something, we're like serving this institution called the church, or like we're serving this kind of building. So not when you go out and serving the kids' work, you're serving your brothers and sisters sitting here. You're loving them. So you say, no, listen, you can come and enjoy being just edified and built up and worshiping with the congregation, with the saints, and we'll look after your kids for you. 
So you can go and that's what you're doing. When you're playing the drums or you're on the desk at the back or making tea or coffee or you're on the doors out there, whatever it is you're doing when you're serving, you're not serving this institution of the church. I'm coming to serve kings. No, you're saying, I want to love and know people. I want to bless people. And I also want to make it an environment where people can come in and feel welcome to join this family. And when they come in, they feel loved and known as well. That's why we serve and do these things. Not so this thing can kind of just keep running and rolling. It's no, because we want to love one another. And when people come and explore and kind of think, oh, I might want to visit this church, I want them to come and think, wow, these people love one another. And they want to love me and bring me in as well. That's why we serve in these things. So we've got to kind of shift our mindset as to what we're actually doing here. And it goes beyond Sundays, doesn't it? It's like sometimes we just think it's a Sunday. It goes beyond Sundays. Recently, I went to Seville for my sister-in-law's wedding. Uh, we was out there for a few days, me and Sylvia. And for whatever reason, I, I don't quite know why, but I decided to fly us back into Luton Airport. Um, anyone been to Luton Airport? Don't. Don't. It's not nice. It's, it's rank. I think I did it to save 50 quid or something. I don't know. I was being a cheap scout. I was like, all right, all right, save us some money. But we flew in at 11 o'clock at night to Luton Airport on a Sunday. Something, there's not even going to be any trains running. I don't want to pay 70, it's like 70 odd quid for a cab back to where we are. And I was thinking, I don't want to pay 70, 80 quid. So I asked some family members, but my, both my brother and sister were out of the country and, um, my mum and dad had been kind of at this event all day and it just wasn't right for them to be able to come and do it. And so I'm thinking, well, my mum had said, as she always was, if you're desperate, I'll come and do it. But you don't like always, you know, well, I don't always like asking my mum because you feel a bit bad. Anyway, you don't need to get into that. I'm just saying that because she's here. She's sitting over there. <laughs> I think, you know. And uh, so anyway, I said to Sylvia, why don't, is it, is it a bit cheeky if we ask, like, someone from church? So I thought, like, is that a bit cheeky? And it made me actually quite sad that we feel like it's cheeky to ask things of one another. So, oh, no, I'm not allowed to. If we believe that we are family who love and know each other, we should have permission to ask things like that. And so I did. A, I asked Dave Sims, um, who's kind of there at the back. I said, Dave, will you come pick us up? And, um, you know, he's happy. Well, I don't know if he was happy to, but he did come and pick me up. You know, he, he kind of came and, yeah, yeah. Cause he, but he did. He kind of obliged. And him and his, his son, Louis, came. And they come and picked me and Sylvia up. And we had a great, it was, not, it was it's so nice. Run me by a taxi driver. Been meeting by friends, family that you love and know. That you could chat and talk about the wedding with. And kind of go back down, drop you to your door. You know, and hug and say goodbye to. And I had to fight to give him some petrol money. He didn't want to take it. He didn't do it. He did it because, why did he do it? Because we're family. Why could I, even the fact I could ask him. He's a son of because he's family. Because we're real with one another. Because I know him, love him, he's my brother. That's it. And it's like, that is kind of how the church... So that's why we want people to be in groups. We don't, we don't, I don't get up here and say, join a group so we can say we've got loads of people in groups. That's, just, that's not why we do it. We say because we want to go beyond the kind of Sunday superficial thing. We want to go beyond that. We want to really get to know people, really get to understand people, get time to really be real and pray and honest and open and share life with one another. That's what the church should really be about. And then Jesus said, listen, that's how you'll be known. You'll be known by your love for one another. Like, can you imagine in those societies where... You know, you have neighbours going, hold on a minute, your mate gave you a car from church, or your mate paid for your holiday, or your friends from church are bringing food round to your house because you're not well, or because you just had a child, or your friends are taking your kids away for the day so you can have some time. What, what is that? People will see that and think, wow, that's, that's a community. I want to find out more about that. We'll be known by our love for one another. That's what it says. That's how we'll be known. That's how the community will grow. And so we want to go beyond. That's why we say, listen, get in a group. Don't kind of just come on a Sunday and attend and listen and go. Say, no, go beyond that. That's what God really wants. That's what he really died for. You know, we all have a part to play. We're not here to be spectators. That's not what God wants. And I say to you, what part are you playing? 
Now, what, what part are you playing in building this church? I mean, some of you are, are rightly in a season where it's difficult for you to do that, and we understand that. And some of you, maybe you, you've been hurt, and we, and we get that, and we don't want to kind of make you feel guilty or bad. But some of us, I think, could quite easily take a step to get involved, but we just need our mindset shifted. That's, that's, the, that's what, I'm, if I'm being honest with you, that's what I really think. Our culture is so standalone. Do your own thing. Come and just enjoy and take. Get after yours. Make sure you're okay. And we, we have to actively fight against that as a people. We have to actively say, no, we're not going to conform to the way the world does it in that way, but we're going to live a way according to this word, the way Jesus has commanded us to live. And so each one of us has a part to play in building the kingdom, even here. Can you imagine this place here in Downham, a community of people that just love and know each other, in here, but then also out there, reaching out to the community and loving them and knowing them and serving them and blessing them. That's the real church, what God's trying to build, and that's what we want to do here. The world will look on with the spirit of God of Egypt in just amazement. Say, wow, there's something different about that community. There's something different about those people. And they'd want to explore it. But, you know, maybe you're here uh, not as an individual. You know, or maybe you're here, and you're feeling kind of like, I'm not really a part of this family. I'm very individual. Maybe that's how you feel. Maybe you feel like you don't deserve to be a part of this family. You couldn't be a part of this family. Well, listen, I want to tell you one thing about the family of God. Jesus died. For this family. Yeah? That's what he did. And he invites you in. Regardless of whether you feel like you can come and join. And he doesn't kind of keep you on the outskirts. You know, like if you're invited to someone else's family gathering, you kind of think, oh, am I allowed to, am I allowed to go and sit at the table? Am I allowed to go and get... No, he says he come, invites you right into the table. That's what he says. Jesus invites us in. He says, listen, I know you're not worthy to join this family, but you can come in on my ticket. Because it's my family. He says, you repent, confess, come to me, trust in me, follow me, then you're in. He says, listen, you were once Australian, an alien and a stranger, but now you're a fellow citizen. You're part of it. Invite us in. He says, because I laid down my life. And if you've read the book of Ephesians, you'll know this passage, uh, often sometimes read at weddings. It says that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Jesus doesn't just love us as individuals, although he does. He died to save us, paying the ultimate price for our sin and our wrongdoing. And he did it to lay the foundation of the church. If we repent of our sin and trust in him, he says, you're in a living stone. I don't know if you went to a wedding this summer. It was one of those summers that me and my wife ended up at loads of weddings this summer. Um, and some people got married. I know that even kind of looking around. The people have been in their own weddings this summer. But I love when you go to weddings because you're never quite sure where to look when kind of the moment the bride is coming. Because the, kind of the bride's coming down, you've got the bridesmaid, you want to see what she's wearing. And what the, you know, I'm not really that bothered about what the dress is like, but I know Sylvia's always like, what's the dress like and what the flowers like and all those things. You've got one eye down there seeing kind of the woman just radiant and beautiful and pure, but then... Everyone's kind of got a half eye on the groom. Like, is he crying? You know, has he got emotional? She's kind of like looking back. You want to see? Because it's this, it's this glorious moment where the kind of the bride is coming down. And you sort of think, you can see just he, how much he's in love with her and amazed by her. And it's this kind of special moment that you see. And a lot of us kind of love that. And it's funny because it represents Christ and his church. Jesus looked on us, his people, his church, who he gave himself up for on the cross not because we were worthy or looked attractive to him or because we were worthy of his affection or sacrifice in any way. 
He looked through history and eternity and saw that if he died and was raised, the gospel would be preached. We will be cleansed, made holy, counted blameless, and be radiant like a bride through his righteousness. And together with billions of Christians from millions of churches throughout the history, one day we'll all gather together to praise and worship the Father in heaven, taken from every tribe and language and nation and tongue. And we'll all be together to sing him. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess all to the glory of his name. That's why he died. Just to kind of close with this, Terry Virgo, in fact, if I can invite the band to come up, that would be good. Terry Virgo, who is the founding father of New Frontiers, some of you know him, said this about the church. He says, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. She is his special delight in the universe. She is his joy, his preoccupation, his passion, his darling bride. In all creation, one thing fills the heart of Christ, his beloved church. We need to rediscover the incredible value and significance of the local church in God's plan and perspective. Uh, do you feel on this occasion how much Christ loves the church? Do you love the church, though it's imperfective, made up of us lot, a mishap, kind of, you know, an odd bunch, or do you just come to attend? It's funny, isn't it? Some of us just come, we think, I'll just come and attend. We say, no, Jesus, I want, you, I want you all in to love my church, to come and build it. Imperfect, because it's made up of us who are imperfect people. And I want us to kind of respond to God's word. And it's funny because I, I imagine for a few of us, there'll be different ways into how we might respond to this message. But I want to encourage you to, whatever way it is you respond, to take a step. For some of us, we might go, you know what? I need to get in a group. Not so you can say, I'm in a group. That's not the point. So you can say, so I can go deeper with a group of individuals to, to be honest, to be open, to share, to pray, to know and love people. That might be the step for you. You might take King's Lives, I'm going to sign up to a group today. And that would be a great step to make. You might say, you know what, I want to just, I've never served in church. I've never, I've never kind of played my part. I've never kind of got involved. Say, so, you know what, that's what I want to do. I've got some gifts. I've got some things I'm passionate about. I've got some ideas. I want to step in. You might come and say, is there a team I can join? Is there something I can do to help out? Of course there is. There's a part for every, everyone's got a part to play. It's not like a one-man band type thing. No, this is all of God's people together building his church. Or maybe you just need to come before God just in some repentance. I know that I've been in a journey in that saying, God, I'm sorry that there's times when I've hated your people. There's times when I've not loved your church. And so maybe you need to do that. You just need to come and stand before God and say, God, help me on this one. God, I love you and I want to love people, but loving people is not easy, especially some people. You say, oh God, can you help me by your spirit on this daily? To love those who I find difficult to love. There might be people that you start to name. God, there's this person who I know I should love, but I find it hard. Help me. Why don't we, why don't we stand together? I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing and respond. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for this word of God. We're so grateful. Look, this is what we respond to. Not responding to my words or anything I've said, but we're responding to, to you. God, and I pray that by your spirit now, you come and convict the hearts of each man and woman in here. God, revealing us the areas that we know we need to just give over to you again. God, encourage us where it is we need to take a step. Speak to us, God. Where is it we need to move in this area? What is it we need to do in this area? But God, I pray, let us not be stagnant. God, let us not be fearful or stand still, but let us move as the people of God. And so we pray, God, will you come? And Lord, it's all for your glory. It's all that your name may be made famous in this part of London. It's all that you will be glorified in what you do. And so we pray, come and have your way. And we pray in the name of your precious son, Jesus, who did not spare his own life for us.
but died in our place. We pray. Amen.